on in the bottom, there we go. Uh, morning, guys. Um, don't know about you, but I'm so encouraged to make some racket, but um, so many, seen so many young people um, head out, it's just makes a, a place so vibrant. Um, before Andrew brings uh, the word to us later on, um, we're going to bring a reading from Psalm 104, um, starting at verses 13, if I'm right. I'm right. Great. <laughs> um, so Psalm 104, verse 13 from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, he waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied with, by the fruit of your labor. He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth, wine that makes human hearts glad, making his face shine with oil and bread that sustains human hearts. The trees of the Lord flourish. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, there the birds make their nests, storks make their homes in the pine trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for hyraxes. He made the moon <coughs> to mark the festivals, the sun knows when to set. You bring darkness and it becomes night when all the forest animals stir. The young lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, they go back and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships move about, and Levithian, which you formed to play there. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your breath, they are created and you renew the surface of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 1, verses 3 through to 14. It's entitled in the CSB as God's Rich Blessings. Blessed is the, f is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. He, pre he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined 
according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ may bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. That's your note. That's your souvenir now, Lorraine, okay? First of all, I'm going to say thank you to, uh, to Samuel, Abigail, and, and Lorraine for um, doing the readings for me this morning. Um, and they're both quite long readings, but you, we will hopefully see the, the, the importance and the relevance of them um, to, uh, to what we're going to look at this morning. But I would just encourage you as well, um, take some time during the week, because there's a lot in those passages, and I would encourage you, you, you will not have picked up even perhaps 10% of, of what those passages are about, and even when I point out the things I want you to look at in them. So I would encourage you uh, during the week, Psalm 104 and Ephesians chapter 1. Um, read those passages during the week, particularly in the light of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And this morning, we're continuing our series um, in James uh, entitled Faith That Works. And this morning, um, the... The verses that we're going to look at are verses um, 16 through to 18. And the message this morning is entitled um, the, 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 the Blessed, sorry, the, uh, A Blessed Faith. Um, so Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 16 to 18 says, Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of all his creatures. Amen. <coughs> so, a few years ago, while I was leading a prayer meeting, I asked the, the people at the prayer meeting to consider not asking God to bless people while they prayed. Bit of a strange instruction at a prayer meeting. Um, I should point out for context, I was also going to say, if anybody did want to pray to, for God to bless people, nobody should ever pray thinking somebody's marking their prayers out of ten, so you do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. But the reason why I made that suggestion was because very often as Christians, when we say, you know, God bless so-and-so, we're kind of doing it as a shorthand because in reality, we've got something in our head somewhere about what we actually want God to do. So, for instance, when we read the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes say that we are blessed, and the word blessed just means happy, but the Beatitudes say that we are blessed and then tells us why we're blessed. So, for instance, it says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they will be satisfied. You know, blessed are, um, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they will be called sons of God. And so as Christians, 
the reality is, although sometimes, and again, I'm going to say the same thing I said at this prayer meeting. This is not a criticism of anybody's prayers, for heaven's sake. You're not praying to me. You pray any way you like. Um, but very often, you know, when we're praying for someone, someone who is in pain, well, what do we want God to do? We want God to give them healing. We want God to give them relief. If someone is if someone is having financial problems, what do we want God to do? We want God to release finance into that person's life. You know, if someone is dealing with fear, then we want God to give them a sense of peace. You know, if somebody's unemployed, we want God to give them a job. So we very often know what it is that we want God to do. And so what I was asking people to do was not pray for people, but was to be specific. How do you want God to bless people? And not only is it a good exercise to be specific about how you want God to, to bless someone, but it also means that when your prayers are specific, you can see specifically how God has answered those prayers, how God has blessed that person. And so this morning, we have this title, A Blessed Faith. And what I want us to do this morning is to see specifically how God blesses us. Because the more we understand how God blesses us, that will inform our response to the God who blesses us. So, James said, it says in verse 16, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. And that verse is both, on one hand, very loving and very kind. On the other hand, it's actually quite sharp as well. The, the second part, is the loving bit, you know, dear brothers and sisters, dearly loved, beloved, etc. But our translation is kind of watered in the first bit. Don't be deceived. It's actually, he's saying, don't deceive yourselves. And it's a command. It's not a suggestion like me as suggesting don't pray that God will bless people. You know, it's a command. It's almost like James is snapping his fingers in, in his hearer's faces saying, come on, wake up, you know. Stop deceiving yourselves. You know, these verses follow on from verses 12 to 15 that Mark preached on last week when he spoke about an enduring faith where he dealt with the, the false idea that, that temptation comes from God. So here is James trying to say to his readers, if you really know who God is, if you really understand what God does, how could you think such a strange thing, you know, that, that God could possibly lead you into temptation. How could you possibly think that God has anything other than good planned for you? So these next two verses, 17 and 18, are James seeking to correct his readers' faulty and, I would say, limited view of the character and the actions of God. So let's start at the end of verse 17 which describes who God is. It says that he is the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And father of lights is a phrase that, that can have two meanings. Um, it can be a reference to the idea of God in all his glory surrounded by the heavenly host, by the angels. And in the Old Testament, God is very often referred to as the God of hosts, the God of army. And it's that picture of God surrounded by this heavenly host, the, the heavenly lights. But more likely, it's a reference to the stars and the planets. When you go out at night, when it's dark and, you, and 
even in Scotland sometimes, the skies are clear. And you can look up and you can see the stars, you can see the planets, you can see how many of them are. And so this reference to God as the father of lights is more likely, uh, it's a picture of God, the God of creation and all that he's, he's made. And God is not just the God of creation, but as the father, he gives life to everything that exists. And keep that in mind, that idea this morning, the God who continues to look after everything is that he has created is important this morning. And not only is God our creator, not only is God our father, but this passage says that he does not change like shifting shadows. James is looking at this creation, all these stars and planets and stuff. And if you, if you have any interest in, in, in the night sky and stuff, and you'll be aware, we live in a world which is constantly changing. The night sky changes, the weather changes. As we say in Scotland, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes and there'll be some more along in a minute. You know, seasons change. We live in constant change. And yet James says, but that's not who God is. God isn't like all these seasons and planets and stars that, that change. Hello. <laughs> he says uh, that God is not like these shifting shadows. And although we know the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The reality is we very often misquote it, but it's still every bit as accurate, and we say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So verse, so, um, so God, according to James, is our loving, consistent giver of life. And then there's the first part of verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The CSB Bible and a few other translations um, take these two adjectives, good and perfect, and use it to describe the word gift. But in actual fact, in the Greek, there's not only two adjectives, there's two nouns. And so in actual fact, a better translation is every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above. And I want us to understand this morning that when James says every, and James repeats every, every perfect, every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, he's describing totality, not contrast. So what does that mean? Not totality, totality, not contrast. James is not just simplistically saying that everything that's good comes from God and everything that's bad comes from Satan. What James is trying to get across to us is that God gives us every good thing he has without holding anything back. That's the meaning of every in this case. Literally, everything God has, God gives. And not only does he give completely, but he gives continually. Because right after he says every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, he says coming down, present tense, to be more specific, con um, continuous present tense. So the picture that James is trying to get across is this idea that God almost has like got a jug, a bowl, a basin, call it what you like, 
and he's pouring it out, and it just keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it doesn't ever come to an end. Why is this important? Because it's a reminder that the universe in which we live is not some clockwork toy that God wound up at the beginning of creation and then left to go on with it. If you want a more, um, if you want a more scientific definition, then we're told the universe is not a closed-loop system where that's it. There was a big bang, everything, there was nothing, and then there was everything, and now it's just that's the way it is. That's not how the Bible describes the universe. God did not just create the universe and then left it to go on with it. And so God um, continually, daily provides for all that he's created. And that's the reason why I asked Samuel and Abigail to read Psalm 104, because it talks there about how God provides for human beings, for animals, for everything. And you can go off this week and find out what a hierarch is later on, okay? Psalm 100, just the first few verses says, He waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of your labor. He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth, wine that makes human hearts glad, making his face shine with oil, and bread that sustains human hearts. So just in verse 17 alone this morning, the challenge to us is this. Do we see God as trustworthy and consistent? And do we see God as consistently trustworthy? Whether we do or whether we don't will affect not only our view of God, but it will affect our relationship with God. So again, taking you further back to James that we've looked at already. That's why James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Here it is again, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And as Mark has already explained, that's not because God is grudgingly going to withhold anything. It's the complete opposite. James says that he is generous and ungrudging. But it's, if we come with this idea that, you know, will God hear my prayer? Does God care about me? Is God able to, to deal with my situation, my circumstances? If we come with that, maybe, if, but, perhaps, attitude before God. We don't really understand the God that we claim to worship, the God that we claim to serve, the God that we have I've said to you this morning is the creator of the whole universe and continually, daily, blesses it. So do we have this proper biblical perspective on the complete, daily, unending generosity with which God blesses us? Are we aware of God's blessings and are we grateful for those blessings? Does it make us generous to respond towards the needs of others when we see an opportunity to bless them? Or do we see ourselves as being the source of our success, our achievements, our wealth, our possessions, all about me? Somebody once described um, an arrogant man as being a self-made man who worshipped his creator. I'll let you think about that for a minute. 
But do we worship ourselves and what we've done, what we've achieved, what our talents, what our knowledge, what our ability has given us? Or do we recognize it as coming from God, the giver of all good things? But James isn't finished describing the goodness of God. Then he goes on to verse 18. And it says in there, By his own choice he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I think most of us will understand the first part of this verse that says that through the gospel, the word of truth, God has chosen to forgive sinful, disobedient, could I maybe add ungrateful people? Not because he has to, but because he wants to. The story is told that someone who once said, God will forgive because that's his job. Well, no, it's not. It's not even God's job to be a creator. God's job is to be God. But God deliberately chose to create a universe in which human beings and animals exist. God chose to provide for those human beings and for those animals that inhabit his creation. And in the same way, God chose to find, to make a way for sinful human beings to be forgiven, to be restored, and to be able to have a right relationship with him. And so we're told that God has done this so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Mark um, has pointed out that today is Pentecost. It's the day that we celebrate the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. But in the Old Testament, um, Pentecost was, was also called the festival of first fruits. It was the time when people marked the first harvest in Israel. Israel, because of its climate, has two harvests, one in the spring, one in the autumn. Pentecost marked the first one, and it was marking both God's year-by-year-by-year by year by year faithfulness and provision for Israel, but it was looking forward in faith to the coming harvest, the second harvest, believing that even though they couldn't, they couldn't predict the weather, that God would bless Israel and that they would see the second harvest that would get them through the rest of the year until the cycle began again with the first harvest the following year. So Pentecost, or the festival of first fruits, not only looked at God's previous on previous giving, but it celebrated God's ongoing and complete provision. And just as we can miss the, the breadth and the depth of God's blessing in creation, then sometimes also we can miss the breadth and the depth of God's blessing in salvation. Redemption isn't just about God forgiving my sins. It's not even about saying that God and redemption is purely about God forgiving our sins. But sometimes that's what we think the work of the cross is all about. Our forgiveness, our restoration, our eternal life. But it's not. God's plan of redemption is so, so much bigger. The Bible um, speaks about a time to come. Romans 
chapter 8 and verse 21, it says, the time coming, it says, creation itself will also be free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. What was Adam and Eve's job in the Garden of Eden? Right? Be fruitful and multiply. But also their job was also to look after the garden, to look after God's creation. And so when they sinned, that stopped happening. That's why we live in a world where today we, we, we worry about, you know, climate change and we worry about pollution and all these kind of things as well. Because our sin doesn't just have consequence for us. It doesn't just have consequence for other people. Our sin affects the world in which we live in. And so the ultimate goal of redemption is not just the forgiveness of sin, but it's the complete removal of sin. So the Bible, the Bible ends with a new heaven and a new earth. The resetting of creation back to the good and perfect universe that opens the Bible in Genesis. That's the extent of God's creation. Of, sorry, of God's redemption. To not only put people back to the way that God created them to be, but to put the entire universe back to where God intended it to be. And in the meantime, according to James, the church is meant to be the festival of first fruits, celebrating God's perfect goodness and generosity, but it's also meant to be forward-looking. And therefore, it's meant to be the place where there is no sin. That's why God constantly emphasizes as Christians that we should be looking at our lives and doing away with sin and seeking to be holy and seeking to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But because we are meant to represent what God is going to do, that's the call that we have in our lives, to live our lives as if God's work was already finished through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be a place that celebrates uh, a relationship with God that transforms us, that transforms our relationship with one another, and transforms our relationship with all of creation. Hence the reading in Ephesians chapter 1 that reminds us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the, heavenly, in, in, in the heavens in Christ. And you notice the Bible keeps saying that, that God has blessed us not with some blessings, not with lots of blessings, not with most blessings. It continually reminds us God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, just as he has blessed us with every physical blessing. We, we talk about grace and so we should. And I often, I've probably preached that now that you should know by now, when I talk about grace, I always define it as three things, that God gives us what we don't deserve, that God gives us what we could not pay, and God gives us what we cannot repay. But the Bible, these two verses and the readings in Psalm 104 and Ephesians chapter 1 actually, again, show us that what we call grace is bigger than what we understand it to be. Because the Bible makes a distinction between what it calls common grace, that God continually blesses and looks after his creation. The Bible says that God 
our Heavenly Father causes the sun to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. God does not bless just the good in our world, the good people in our world, because if he did, well, that would be a fairly short list. It says that every morning, God gives life to all of his creation, that God makes sure that there is food in our world, that God's desire is that there should be shelter in our world, that there should be health in our world, that there should be peace in our world. So don't ever let anyone ever say to you again, as we look at, the, as we, as we look at situations of famine, as we, look at, uh, as we look at people dying because of ill health, as we look at people dying because of wars of arrogance and stupidity happening in Europe, that why doesn't God do something? Because the answer to that question is, God has already done something. And it's not God's fault that these things are happening in our world. We need to look at ourselves. We need to look at human greed and selfishness. And let me just say that some of these illustrations I've given you, they're not just illustrations of selfishness that happen somewhere you know, over there. You look at Scotland and you look how fast supermarket shelves clear when something's in short demand. You look at the queues that you see outside petrol stations the minute they tell you that they've not got enough tanker drivers. There's the greed that says, it's me, it's mine. I want it for myself and hang everybody else. That's human nature. And yet, it's human nature that refuses to recognize the goodness, the generosity of God. And to give that, well, we've got more than enough to give that to others. So we're not deceiving ourselves this morning. If we do, as James is, is, is arguing with his readers, if we really know who God is and understand what God does, then this morning I want to suggest four responses to that. And the first one is repentance. Do we see God as God, our creator? Do we recognize that it's the sin in our lives that is responsible for the hurt and the need, the greed, the selfishness, the lust for power and possessions that has damaged the world that God declared good when he first created it? Do we need to look at our own lives and repent of our own attitudes? But also the Bible says that the, one of the things about creation is that the glory of the Lord is seen in creation. And so therefore it says that people are without excuse. When we can, this world did not just happen because of a big bang. One minute there was nothing, one minute there was everything. Okay, that takes faith. <laughs> you know? Uh, this world is not here by accident. And this world is not going to end by accident. The Lord is the earth and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. And so this morning, whether you are here in person or whether you're watching online, this morning you need to ask yourself, have you recognized who God is? Have you recognized not only his blessings in the physical world in which we live, but have you recognized the spiritual gifts that he wants to give to you? And have you taken that opportunity to ask him to come into your life? The second response is worship. If we do recognize who God is, if we recognize how good he is, if we recognize how generous he is, that should make us respond in worship. 
giving thanks for his unending generosity and giving, giving us everything we need physically and spiritually for life and godliness. It was interesting that Mark read um, Job this morning. You know, and again, there's a, there's a book again that talks about the goodness and the generosity of God and puts it in its right context because Job, we're told, was mightily blessed by God. Then God took it all away again. And what was Job's response? Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in the midst of all that suffering, which would have crushed many of us, quite frankly, we were reminded this morning, Job wasn't standing there saying, why is God doing this? Where is God or anything else? Job was saying, I can't wait to see God for myself. That was Job's response, was worship and gratitude. Because Job's life didn't depend on the things God gave him. It simply depended on God, full stop. Thirdly, and I've mentioned this already, can we respond to God in confidence? Recognizing that prayer is not a wrestling match where we try and force God to give us stuff he doesn't want to give us. But it's a time of giving thanks, knowing that God already knows our needs. And we, while we are spending that time in prayer, asking God for this, God's already at work doing something over here. In fact, usually God's busy doing something right here and doing something in us. And sometimes that's teaching us patience. Because any of us who are parents know that you just can't give your kids every single thing they want and stuff them full of e-numbers, chocolate, juice, and everything else because it's not good for them. But also perhaps God says, as maybe teaching us sometimes, there's a big difference between asking God for everything we want and recognizing that God is the God who gives us everything we need. And sometimes God needs to teach us the difference between what we want and what we need. But do we still come before God with confidence in prayer for ourselves and for others? Believing that God is good. Believing that God already knows what we want. Even if we just say, God bless me or God bless so and so, God knows what that bless means. But like I said at the beginning, it's nice to be specific. And it's encouraging to be specific and see God answering prayer. And fourthly, again, I've touched on this as well, generosity. Do we, do we see how much we've got? Genuinely, and again, Mark spoke last week about the, not Mark, sorry, TJ spoke about, um, about the, the world definition of poverty, about being living in less than $2, $2 a, a day, a week. Where's Mark? Sorry, I am getting my... <laughs> Well, watch the video, okay? Um, so, we are blessed. And this is not a political statement, and yet here we are living in, a, living in a society where we have more and more food banks, where people are genuinely worried about paying bills, who are worried about putting on the heating or whatever. But you know, when you look at the church, it says in the early church that there was no one in need because anybody who had homes or property or possessions sold them and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet who distributed it as was needed. That's the generosity of the church. 
recognizing what they had, recognizing that it came from God, that it belonged to God, and giving it back to God for the goodness, for the benefit of others. So this morning, I ask you to, to, to recognize God's blessing. Now let me give you a wee exercise to finish with. See over tea and coffee. Why don't you tell the person next to you whatever you're grateful for this morning? Just the one thing. Start with one thing. See how you get on. You'll need to give me a number here because I've forgotten the number. Thank you. Lorraine told me when I was, talk when I was getting prepared for this, Lorraine, uh, and I'm sorry to steal Lorraine's own story here, but Lorraine was telling me a few years ago she was working, she was working um, in, in the gas board on the phones. Um, she, she wasn't one of these people that phones you up and cold calls you, but she, did, she does call people up and uh, they, they, do sometimes, they, they, they do sometimes get a bit ratty. Please remember, someone on the phone, if they're not a scammer from somewhere, they are actually someone trying to make a living, okay? Um, but she was having a hard time one night, and she decided to, this idea, right, I need to think about three things that I can give thanks for. Well, I've got a job. Job gives me money, you know. And after, her, halfway through her shift, she's now got 79 things and three pages on her list of things to give thanks for. And she used that to speak to one of her colleagues who didn't know the Lord, and she asked them, what are they grateful for? And she actually, there was a wee ripple went through that call center as folk began to actually stop at the things that they were grateful for. Now, they may not all have stopped and given thanks to the God who gave them those things, but the change in mood and the change in attitude was tremendous. And this morning, as I've talked to you about the goodness and the generosity, the unending, limitless, goodness of God. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and there's, there's something going on. I do not know what's going on in your life in, in terms of your health, in terms of your finances, in terms of your job. I don't know what's happening in relationships or, or anything like that. Maybe this morning you're thinking, you know, nice idea, Andrew, but you've not got a clue what's going on in my life. Well, I'm also going to say to you as I stand here and I preach you this morning with the goodness of, of God, I want to gently suggest to you that I know what's going on in my life either. That's not meant to be a rebuke because we are the church. You're not supposed to come into church and go back out feeling as crap as you did when you came in. Am I allowed to say that? Too late. <laughs> we say this every week, and I'm going to say it again. If you are sitting here this morning struggling, I'm going to get excommunicated by the pastor. If you are struggling this morning, you need to come and ask somebody for prayer and tell us what's going on because we want to help, but we can only help if you're prepared to be humble enough and honest enough to come and tell us what's happening. But we are the church. We are meant to help and support one another. Give us that opportunity to do that this morning. We also, this morning, have the opportunity to come to this table. And this table is a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of thanksgiving recognizing what God has done for us in Christ. And I hope this morning I've opened your eyes up to the, the vastness of what God has done for us in Christ. We're called this morning to do this in remembrance of the Lord until he comes. 
So we come to this table, it's not just looking back to what God did on the cross, it's looking forward to what God is yet to do. And it's a table of thanksgiving to believe that not only has God through Christ given us everything, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, but to recognize that God has given us every blessing full stop and to be able to give thanks for that this morning. So that's my encouragement for this morning. Understand how much God has blessed you. Understand how he blesses us, what he blesses us with, how much he blesses us and how often he blesses us. And let's respond to God and to one another with that understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for for your inexpressible goodness, for your incalculable goodness to us. To recognize that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ. And so we want to give you thanks this morning. We pray that we will not only see the blessings that you have given us, but we pray that we would hold on to those blessings lightly and be willing to give them to others, to bless others in your name as you have blessed us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be a grateful, generous people as we worship our great and generous God. In Jesus' name, amen.